exciting, Southfield. It snowed. And is it still snowing out there? You guys aren't very excited about it, are you? <laughs> I'm really excited that it snowed. All right, would you please stand? This morning, we are going to sing praises to the God that created that snow. So if you want to complain, you can take it to him, right? Just kidding. All right, we're going to sing it out this morning. And you could even clap if you, can, uh, if you, if you feel like doing it. Go ahead. Sing, 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 and make music with the heavens. We will sing, sing, sing. Grateful that you hear us when we shout your praise. Lift high the name of Jesus. our praise, isn't he? Well, his love for us never, ever fails. You can be confident in that and know that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love.
Would you take this time right now and you thank God for his love, whether it's in a prayer out loud or in your heart, just say thank you for that love. God, we thank you so much for the love that never runs out on us because sometimes, Lord, to be honest, we don't think we're worthy of loving. And we're just so overwhelmed, God, by your grace. We're going to sing that again. Your love never fails and never gives up. ago, Jason had a job. Jason's my husband on the, on the drums. He's a, a football coach and his first job was at a small school. It was a K through 12 school. And, um, I started subbing there once I got my degree just to kind of help bring in some money. Um, and I was never, even though I'm kind of short, very small person, I was never really, um, that intimidated by subbing in the high school level, just because I knew that I could walk in and I had this guy that had my back. And so I could walk into a classroom and I could sub and, and, you know, I knew that they were going to behave because they knew that, knew that I was Mrs. Aubrey. I was coach Aubrey's wife. And I even, I even heard guys, you know, if they were kind of misbehaving a little bit, somebody else would turn to him who's a football player and he'd say, do you know that that's coach Aubrey's wife? You don't want to misbehave for him or for her. And there were times where like they were getting a little rowdy. And so I just made a quick little call to Jason, like, Hey, you got to show up in this doorway. You know, they're, they're kind of out of control. And so he would, and the moment when he stood there, there was silence and they listened to everything I said, which was wonderful. It was a great poll to have. Well, this next song that we introduced last week, it's whom shall I fear? It was talking about God, um, being behind us, God having our back. And he's the God of angel armies. And in, in Daniel and, uh, John even, and John even talks about it in revelation, but, um, they talk about the thousands, tens of thousands of angels that are surrounding God's throne all the time. They're just wait, waiting to carry out God's will and God's plan. Um, and it's just, it's awesome to know as we sing this song that, yeah, yeah, God's on our side. He has our back. So we shouldn't fear anything. We shouldn't fear and allow fear to come in and just quench the things that God has told us to do and the, and the things that God has told us to, to, the way that God has told us to be for him because he has our back. Amen.
Father, that last line that we sing, the God of angel armies is always on my side. May we remember that. May that just be implanted into our hearts and in our minds, Lord God, so that the way that we live is the way that you want us to live without, so that we don't have that fear, Lord God. We don't need to fear anything this world can do to us, Lord Jesus, because we have you on our side. And as long as we're in your name, Lord, you are with us. You are standing in our corner. And you are rooting for us and you are fighting for us. Lord, you will go before us. You will come after us. And God, it's hard for us to even comprehend that tens of thousands of angels are surrounding you right now, just ready to carry out your will. But God, we know that that's truth. And Lord, we will hold on to that and we will live like that, Lord. We will live with the support of you, Jesus, and knowing that we are supported and encouraged and guided by you, the God of angel armies. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. I see that uh, a lot... That's pretty. See that a lot of you got the memo about wearing your favorite sport team stuff. Very, very cool. I uh, thought this morning I would show off to you some of my birth or Christmas presents today. My wife was uh, like a lot of you. You know, it seems like almost every day it was cold. You'd be walking up, aren't you wearing a coat today? And my wife thought I should wear a coat. And the one that I do wear, she said, I looked like a hobo. And so 
she bought me a nice coat, which was very nice. And then my youngest son decided to buy me a gift too. Um, He decided that it was time for me to start enjoying a different football team. Oh, look, three people. Um, So here's, here's the story on this. My life is at the 50th yard line. All right. And for 50 yards, I've rode for the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills, that's where I grew up. I grew up in North Tonawanda, right between Buffalo and Niagara Falls. And if you know the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bills really have, they've mastered losing at a level that's just phenomenal. You know, you go to four, you go to four Super Bowls in a row and you lose all four, two of them, two of all teams, Dallas. You know, I mean, it's just, it's unthinkable. So I started this journey. I said about 45, I've got to find a new team. I've got to find a team that has a good organization, you know, and I studied the McCaskies (laughs) anyway. um, And then I, and then I started saying, I got to go to a team that, that has a good quarterback. And well, the bears, they've had lots of quarterbacks. I don't know if any of them been good, but they've had lots of them. And then, and then I stand at the door every week with Bob Coyne. And Bob, just for four years, drip, 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 drip. And before you know it, I'm thinking, I don't know, I could probably look good in green. Let's give it a whirl. So, so anyway, here we are today. And I'm, uh, yeah, things are shifting. Things are shifting. Yeah, here we go. Now, now the chatter. Now the chatter. Now, see, here's the reason I did this, though, more than any other. When I started actually thinking about this whole Packer thing, I started to observe Bear fans at a whole new level. And here's the truth about you people. Um, (laughs) You would rather see the Packers lose than the Bears win. I mean, it's just, it's the saddest phenomenon known to mankind. I watch you, and when the Packers lose, I mean, you put on a party. And when the Bears, if the Bears were in the Super Bowl tonight, You'd be saying, yeah, but the Packers aren't. I mean, it's all about, so I'm doing you a favor. I'm doing you a favor. Someone else also commented that with my, with my record, they're glad that I've chosen this team. So it all works out just fine. Anyway, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this uh, book that you've given to us. And I pray that as we start to study it and really understand it, um, that we will never settle for just looking at it, that we'll always, always, always want to live it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, we started looking at this, uh, this letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, which we call 1 Corinthians. Now, when we started talking about it, I said, this is, as you look at the first few verses, it's the, the standard opening you would find to any ancient letter. This is, this is the way it works. Usually had three basic elements. First, the identity of the author is listed, and he gives his credentials. He says, this is Paul. Uh, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. He says, this is who I am, and this is why you should listen to me. He then goes on to list the recipients. The recipient is identified, followed just by some kind words about the recipient. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his holy people. And finally, an ancient letter always had just a, an expression of well-being, usually, you know, wishing good health on someone. But Paul takes it in a, in a decidedly Christian direction. He says, may God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
Now, Paul takes this standard introduction one step further. He, he doesn't just settle with those opening parts. But when you look at Ephesians or Philippians, he'll very often talk about the positives of the relationship he has with them. He'll, he'll give a prayer that he prays about them or areas in which he's seen and heard of growth in, in their lives. So you look at verse 4, we read, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gift gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all your knowledge. This confirms that what I have told you about Christ is true. Verse 7. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Love this next part. God will do this. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have this standard, positive, personal opening, this introduction, nine verses in all. Then we come to verse 10. And in verse 10, Paul gets to the point more quickly than he does in any other letter. You look at Ephesians, you look at Romans, he starts talking theology. You look at Philippians, he talks about his missionary journeys. In in 1 Corinthians, he just gets right to it. So look at verse 10. Here's what he says. Let there be no divisions in the church. Let there be no divisions in the church. We're going to read verses 10 to 12. Before we do, I just want to point something out for you. As you look at it on the screen, you see that you got to go to the next one. The title along the top says Divisions in the Church. And uh, typically in a lot of our study Bibles and whatever, at the beginning of a paragraph, uh, the publishing houses, Zondervan, Tyndale, and others, have taken the liberty of describing what's going on in the, in the chapter. This isn't there originally. Paul didn't write the words division in the church and then start talking. Now, there are times in the Bible that you do have editor's notes that are from the author. David does that some in the Psalms, where he actually describes what the psalm is about and then goes ahead and writes the psalm. But, but But the nice thing, the publishing house has basically told us, here's what you're about to read about. You're about to read that the Corinthian church is very divided. It's fractious. So looking at verse 10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I am a follower of Apollos. Some are saying, I'm a follower of Peter. And others say, I follow only Christ. Now, before we jump into the issue of division, I want to call attention to something that we learn in verse 11. Paul tells us how he learned about the division. He tells us how he learned about about the fractious state of the church in Corinth. He says, some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. You see, 1 Corinthians isn't just, it isn't just spontaneous. Paul didn't sit down one day and say, I haven't written to a, a letter to one of my churches in a while. Hmm. Why not Corinth? Let's write, let's write 16 chapters to them. That's not the way the book came about. In fact, he wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians as response. 
It was a response to reports, a response to conversations, a response to questions. It was even a response to letters he had received from the people of Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Jumping there quickly, it says, Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. The Corinthians had actually written Paul a letter. We don't have that letter, but they had actually written Paul a letter saying, we need some answers on these things. We see that again in eight, chapter 8, verse 1. He says, now regarding your questions about food that had been offered to idols. So this book is a response. He's responding to things he's heard. He's responding to things they're asking. He's filling in the blanks of questions they might have. You remember that Paul came to Corinth, he established the church, 18 months later, he moved on. He sailed across the sea and went to Ephesus, and then he stays in Ephesus for three years. And it's while he's in Ephesus during those three years that he receives correspondence, he receives reports from Corinth, and he goes ahead and writes the letter of First Corinthians to the people. Part of what we have to understand as well is we don't only not have all of this correspondence that, that came from, from the Corinthians, we don't have all the correspondence from Paul as well. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. We're going to be looking at this in just a couple weeks. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, you might in your mind think, maybe we got them mixed up. Maybe 2 Corinthians is really 1 Corinthians, and maybe we got them confused. Clearly, we did not. There's actually another letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that is not considered Scripture, and we do not have it. But there was this correspondence going on between Paul and the church. We get these conversations. In a, in a future sermon, what I'm going to do is lay out for you kind of the track of the visits and the letters and the correspondence that went on between these groups so that you'll see how it all flows for today, we're simply looking at the fact that uh, we don't have all of the letters. We don't have all of the correspondence. What we do have is, is two letters. We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And between those two and our curiosity, we piece together the conversation that was going on between Paul and this group of people. So go back to verse 11. It says, Some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, by now, I hope you're asking the question, who's Chloe? Who in the world? I mean, you've got to ask the question, who is Chloe? Why is she mentioned? You know, it's interesting. Many, many moderns want to pay, paint Paul as a woman hater. They, they read things he says and they say, oh, Paul just hates women. Yet he, like Jesus, had many female ministry associates, and Chloe was one of them. What we know about Chloe is what's written right here. This is, this is all we know about Chloe, what's written right here. Um, we know that, um, that Chloe was the head of a household. That's what it says here. Now, that's interesting because typically a head of household is a male. And so that's led scholars to just go crazy. Okay, so why did they mention Chloe? Why didn't they mention the husband? What's going on there? Some conjecture that maybe she's a believer, the husband's not. And if they had mentioned the husband's name, nobody would even know who, uh, who Paul was talking about. Some believe that she was a woman of wealth, a woman of status, and her husband was not. So people recognized her name, but they wouldn't have recognized him. Uh, it may be that the reference to the household isn't a reference to her family members or to her servants, 
But instead, it's a reference to the fact that the church actually met at her house. Uh, so that's one possibility. And some even go on to say that they're not even sure if Chloe was a, a citizen of Corinth. She may have been a citizen of Ephesus, and somehow the word came from Corinth to Ephesus to Chloe. I could go on, but here's what we know. Here's what we know for sure. Absolutely. Some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. I emphasize this because sometimes we try to find things in the Bible that aren't in the Bible. We need to go with what it says. We need to go with the black and white. We need to go with what the Bible says and not try to build something that is not there. In fact, when you read the verse, it doesn't even necessarily say that Chloe's the one that gave the bad report. It's a member of her household that gave the bad report. Now, the interesting thing is it's a personal report. Someone ratted out the Corinthians. This isn't Paul just sitting from a distance and going, you know, they were a contentious bunch when I was with them. I'll bet they're fighting. This isn't him just conjecturing a bit. Somebody actually told on them. Anybody have siblings? Aren't siblings wonderful? I was oldest, and my youngest siblings, they were just experts at this thing of, I mean, I would just have to look at them a certain way, one of them in particular, and it would be yelled out, Dan! And my dad, no jury, no, 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 no trial, no nothing. When he heard that Dad, that meant Dennis is doing something bad, he deserves punishment, overdone, end of story. That's it. When there's a personal report, you get in some trouble, don't you? Well, there's a little bit of trouble here. Chloe said, there's a problem in the church, Paul, and you need to know about it. And he, they're busted at this point. They're absolutely busted. And she says, here's the problem. They've chosen teams. They've, they've actually broken up into teams. Now, you know, Bears fan, Packers fan, Cubs fan, Sox fan, Manuka fan, Joliet fan. All that's kind of fun. It's fun to divide. It's fun to debate what the team would be like if it had a different owner or a different quarterback. It's fun to have all those debates. It's fun to get into that stuff. My family's made it really interesting. At some point in my lifetime, my youngest son decided he wanted to be a Patriots fan. Do you know what that does to a Bills fan? I mean, it's just, it's murder. It's murder. I mean, that little, now they have the cool patriot back then they had this pudgy little fart that would just bend over like this that guy would come to town and i just why are we even playing the game just put an l up and let's go don't get don't let our guys be hurt we knew we were going to lose we knew it and then my oldest son you know he likes to think he's wise and so he you know as he's growing he realizes that the cubs kind of have this pattern it's only been going on for about a century and he was smarter than uh than to actually think of going with another chicago team he looked a little further south and said, you know, there's this, this Redbird team that seems to have a great organization. I think I'll go that way. It's caused all kinds of interesting dynamics in our family, I must say, to have a Patriot fan, to have a Cardinal fan. But overall, it's a game and we have fun, or at least so they think. So it's okay when you're talking rivalries in sports. It's another thing when you're talking rivalries in the church. It's another thing when the church decides we're going to form teams and we're going to start to fight over the way things should work. They actually divided according to their favorite spiritual leaders. They had different spiritual leaders that they thought were better than the other. There was the Paul Club. 
The guy who said, I'm for the guy that founded the church. I'm a founding fathers kind of guy. There was the Apollos group. The Apollos group, well, they liked this fresh face on the scene, this new guy, this young guy who just brought energy and life. You know, isn't he great? Then there was the Peter group. The Peter group, they were the traditionalists. They said, hey, I want to root for the guy that goes all the way back to Jerusalem. He was there. He was with Jesus. And then you had this little, you know, the pious Pete's. Well, we just love Jesus. We're the Jesus club. And you look at that, you read it and you go, well, what's wrong with that? Uh, They weren't saying it the way you think they were saying it. They were forming a fourth team. They were saying, we're better than all of you because we love Jesus more than the rest of you. And what you had was a church that just decided it wanted to fight. It wanted to be contentious. It wanted to be ripped apart. Paul doesn't let this go. He goes on for chapters. He goes on for chapters talking about the division between them. Why did he do that? Why? (laughs) Because when the church is divided, the enemy starts to take ground. When the church is divided, the mission of Christ is sidetracked. When the church is divided, the name of Jesus is dishonored. It's not about the name of Southfield or some other church name. It's the name of Jesus that gets dishonored. When the church decides to fight. Look at verse 13 again. Paul said, has Christ been divided into factions? Has he been divided into teams? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? And the answer, of course, is no, I was not. Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. That's not the way it worked. Then Paul goes on this interesting little ramble. He starts to talk about who he baptized in Corinth and who he didn't baptize. He says, yeah, I baptized Gaius, and I remember baptizing Stephanas, and you know, I remember, I remember those baptisms, but, but I didn't baptize anyone else. I, I love the way Paul writes when he's writing emotionally, where he'll just kind of have these little moments that seem to be like a, a thoughtful ramble, and then he says, wait, 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 let's get back to the point. He says, are you kidding me? You formed into Team Paul, Team Apollos, Team Peter, and Team Christ? Are you, are you serious? This is actually what you're doing? He says, he says, folks, he says, brothers and sisters, he says brothers more in this letter than any other letter. He says it over and over and over again. And in part, he's trying to soften the crowd ground. He's trying to say, come on, come to your senses. Even the way he says, I appeal to you. He doesn't say, I command you. He doesn't say, you're going to do this. And that's the way it is. Please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you, folks, just be united. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. There's this amazing human dynamic. The moment we gather in a group, alliances start forming. The the moment we gather together, we start to form into teams over likes and dislikes, tastes and opinions, in, in churches over theology and practice. We just like to divide. We like to divide. It's in our nature to split up, to team up, to gang up, and, and to vote someone off the island if we don't want them on the island anymore. That's the way we're wired. I tell you what, I could go on for three weeks. I could go on for three weeks citing Ridiculous examples of things churches have split over, things churches have divided over. I mean, more than once I've heard of the church that's divided over what juice they use for communion. What? You don't use Welch's? That's it? I'm out of here. Can you actually imagine 
Churches divide over ridiculous things. Like the Declaration of Independence, I I just want to start off by proclaiming, we hold this truth to be self-evident, that wherever people form into groups, they will soon divide. They will soon divide. You know, sometimes separating is actually biblical. Sometimes it is commanded by the Bible to do so. We'll see this in a couple of weeks when we look at chapter 5, and Paul tells us to separate from believers who are overly proud of their sexually immoral behavior. We'll see that he tells us to separate from false teaching and false teachers. But that's not what he's talking about here. Here he's talking about division, real division. He's saying we let the little stuff, the non-biblical stuff, the petty stuff push us apart. And we shouldn't do that. You know, this is, this is my 18th year here been here 18 years. And in that time, I got to tell you, I could tell you some stories and I've lived through some stories. In a church, people like to divide over personal preferences. On the way in this morning, I was handed a box. Somebody saw that I like bacon and I like popcorn. Why not smash the two together? Bacon, popcorn. Guess who's having bacon, popcorn for lunch? Don't worry, Bob. It's got 850,000 calories. We're good. We're good. Anyway, Even in this room, as I said that, it was funny to watch your faces. I wish I had had a camera. Some of you look like Jesus just came from heaven. (sighs) And some of you, you got this squished up, "Mm, that is gross. I'm almost tempted to have a stand up right now. Bacon popcorn people over here, non-bacon popcorn people over here. We divide over preferences. and, And we let our preferences get the best of us sometimes. Like I said, I could tell you some stories, amazing stories of times that we overlooked our petty differences. And the other side, I could tell you some stories of times that, well, we did things that didn't make Jesus smile. One of our less positive moments happened so long ago that the only people left from that era are the Paps, the Swanks, uh, the Morrises, and the Hansons. Been a long, long time. Some of you were, have never been in our old building. It was designed in the 1960s. I can probably just stop right there. But anyway, it was designed in the 60s. I insist by someone who was smoking something at the time. And when I arrived in 1995, it was in need of some serious updating. And one of the things that needed to be updated more than anything else was the carpet. The carpet was orange. It was, it was dated. It was worn in spots. It was frayed along some of the seams. And there was this spot in the foyer, kind of like right over here, you have the windows. The sun would shine on the carpet right there by the windows. And it had changed colors to what I think Martha Stewart would call uh, baby puke yellow. It just, it just was not looking real attractive right over there by the window. We were celebrating a significant anniversary. We were coming up on year 115. And so we formed a group to do a series of uh, anniversary renovations. Replacing the carpet was high on the list. Everyone said, we've got to do something about the carpet. So the group did their homework. They met with several decorators, and they arrived at two conclusions. The first, we were going to carpet the whole room. In the past, only the aisles had been carpeted, and the area underneath the pews was tiled. So we were going to carpet the whole room, and we were going in the direction of green, Green was the general choice. We were narrowing it down, but we were, going, we were going in that direction. So when we finally got down to it, we got a sample and we put it out. And it was not long before I started hearing reports from the household of Chloe. It, it started coming back to me. And the coming back to me was this. Prepare for war. 
prepare for war. You see, we had divided into teams. There was the carpet only the aisles faction. Why in the world do you want to over, carpet over that beautiful tile? Let's just keep it the way it is. What is? We had the what's wrong with orange faction. Love orange. Orange is beautiful. We had the I hate green faction. They were, they were quite strong. And then we had the I like green, but not that green. That green's ugly. It's gray. It's gross. I don't want that green. And then we had this other faction, which you'll always have anytime you're making a church decision. We had the group that said, I just don't understand why it costs so much. The last time I carpeted my living room, it was X. Why in the world should it cost so much for a church? So all of this was going on. All these teams are forming. And we were about to have a business meeting. We came to the business meeting because the decision had to be made by the whole church. We started that business meeting by actually accepting a new family into membership. I honestly don't remember their name anymore. But we accepted them into membership. And then we started going through the, um, the list of renovations we were going to work on. Finally, it was carpet time. Now, back then, the sanctuary was divided just like this room. Pews on either side, aisle down the middle. And from my place at the front leading the meeting, what I saw was something like this. Scud missile. (laughs) 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 And it just kind of up and back and up and back. And it went on and on and on and on. And, And the comments, some of the comments were, they were mean. I mean, have you ever made a, a taste decision, a preference decision? Maybe you've bought something to wear, and then you showed it to your spouse. And your spouse had very interesting adjectives to use for the thing that you just, yeah, I see the look you're making, Sarah, because Eric can't dress himself for the life of him, can you? Right. It happens. It happens that you kind of, these words start coming out. What happened in that moment? Mean comments were made, cold comments, insensitive comments, deeply hurtful comments to all the people who had been part of that decision-making process. And then we voted. And you know what happened? We voted to carpet the whole room, and we voted to carpet it in the green that we had chosen. Done. After the meeting, three things happened. First of all, the people on the committee asked me, don't ever ask me again. Don't ever ask me again to be part of a decision-making process that will come for a vote to the church. I won't be a part of it. Second thing that happened, the family that joined the church that night, I'm not kidding, they never came back. That was it. They were done. And when they were given a phone call, here was the answer. I've been in better meetings at my union hall contract negotiations. I never want to do something like that in a church ever again. Third result, I sat that night and many nights afterward praying, asking God to forgive us, apologizing to Jesus and basically saying, I am so sorry that we acted like that. I remember at that time saying, really? Jesus spilled his blood so that we can fight over green carpet? This this is the big spiritual issue of our time? Green carpet? Lost people need to come to God and and we're deciding to battle over green carpet? Are Are you serious? This is what it's all about? I gotta say, we we've done a lot better since those days. We've done a lot better since those days. And those of you who've been around from the green carpet days, no, we've done a lot better since those days. We've made far more controversial decisions 
far greater decisions with a far sweeter spirit than I ever could have imagined during the Great Carpet War of 1997. I just, it's, it's unbelievable. Now, that's not to say people don't grumble. Where two or three are gathered, someone will grumble. It always happens. It's a sad part of our old nature. But for us, the days of meetings where we agree most over what divides us, they're over. They're in the rearview mirror. So why? What happened? What changed? Why are we not like that anymore? Well, I think we've learned to live what Paul says in this passage. We've chosen to live under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his church, not ours. The ultimate name on the church is not Southfield. The ultimate name on the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. We've chosen to live in harmony with each other. That's a decision that we make. It doesn't just happen. It's a decision we make. We've chosen not to tolerate divisions in the church. We've chosen to strive towards spiritual maturity. We've chosen to focus on what matters, Christ and his mission, his priorities. Or as Paul says, we've chosen to be of one mind, united in thought and spirit. In these chapters, Paul gives us a handful of reasons on why we divide. Why is it that churches have a tendency to want to divide, to split, to form teams? Here's the first one he gives. It's because we stop valuing harmony. We come to the place that we don't see harmony and unity as something that is important. The greatest display of Christ's activity in the world today is not signs and wonders. It is not miracles. It is not supernatural occurrences. It is not if we could go about eradicating world hunger. That is not the greatest sign of the power of Jesus in the world today. Here it is. Jesus says this in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What's the greatest power of Christ in the world today? The love we have for each other, the unity that we show in the church of Jesus Christ. Later in this part of John, this is called the Olivet Discourse, chapters 13 to 17. In chapter 17, Jesus prays a beautiful prayer. And do you know what the prime request he has of his father? You know what the main issue of that prayer is? It's not for health and safety. It's not that we all experience comfort or get lots of cash. It's not an absence of poverty. And it's not that pain would be eradicated. Here's his number one request. John 17, 21. I pray that they may all be one. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. It is the unity of the church that draws people to Jesus Christ. I want you to see the verse just before verse 21. If you look at verse 20, Jesus says this leading up to it. I am praying not only for these disciples. He says, I'm not only praying for the ones sitting here right now. I'm not only praying for the 12, but also... For all who will ever believe in me through their message. You know what he's saying there? Sometimes you look at a verse and you wonder, is that one for me? Is that verse intended for me? This verse is directly written for us. We are people who received the message of the disciples and have come since then and have believed in Christ because of that. Paul, uh, Jesus' greatest desire for us is that we be unified. He prayed for Southfield. He prayed that we may be one. We start falling apart when we stop valuing unity, when we stop valuing harmony, when we forget that the best proof of our faith in Christ is our love 
for each other and our unity with each other. He gives a second reason why we divide. We divide when we forget why we are here. We divide when we forget the mission, when we forget the purpose, when we take our eyes off mission, when we start focusing on petty things, issues of preference and personality quirks, rather than issues of mission. Years ago, I had a poster on my, on my office door. It was, uh, it was a Dennis, Dennis the Menace poster, my namesake. And underneath, it had a little line. He's sitting in a boat. He's fishing. There are no fish in the boat. And he says out loud, are we, are we really fishing or just pretending? Uh, sometimes I look at that and I think, that's the church. That's the church of Jesus Christ. We claim to be fishing, but there are no fish in the boat. Are we really fishing or just pretending? Are we doing the important things or are we bickering over a carpet color? What are we really doing here? Do you know what fishermen do when they're not catching fish? They fight. When we get off mission, we do battle over things that really don't matter. The second we turn Christ's church into something less than the mission for which he made it, we fall apart. Paul said, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Pettiness can kill even the greatest of churches. I could give you examples from the last two decades of of churches that grew into the thousands that are decimated today. And why? Because they fought over petty things, over things that really didn't matter He gives a third reason that we fall apart. He says, sometimes we play to our immaturity. This one had to be hard for them to hear. Has anybody ever called you immature to your face? You were were in a conversation and somebody said, wow, you're being really immature. I don't know about you. That just softens my spirit and I really want to listen. (laughs) Yeah, right. You find yourself going, let's go, let's go. What does Paul do? Look at 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Christ Jesus, the one who was crucified. Now, on the surface, that verse, that's beautiful. Those are beautiful words. But if you come down to verse 6, he explains why he talked that way. He says in verse 6, Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. Or what's he saying, in other words? Yeah, when I'm with a church that's not like you, when I'm with a mature church, I speak with wisdom. But since I'm with you, I'm going to talk very simply right now, Paul says, right? Go down. In case you think he's not being direct enough, look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't even talk to you as I would a spiritual person. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were an infant in in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. You get that? He's saying you weren't, and you still aren't ready. Why? Because you are still under the control of your sinful nature. He goes on to say, you're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another, I'm a follower of Apollos, aren't you acting like people of this world? I mean, Paul's words are tough. They are straightforward. They're clear. We divide when we let our immaturity get the best of us. 
when we don't act like mature believers, when we don't put aside our personal agendas and our petty preferences, when we look more highly on ourselves than we should, when we ignore what God says about about expressing our opinions and addressing our frustrations in a biblical manner. There's one more thing Paul says that risks our unity. He says we risk our unity when we lose sight of eternal values. When we stop seeing what's really important, look at uh, chapter 3, verse, starting at verse 21. He says, so don't boast about following a particular human leader. Do you see the emphasis there on human? He doesn't just say a leader. Stop. Come on. Don't just focus on earthly things, on human things. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future. Everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Paul comes back and says, folks, you're so earthbound. You're so small minded. You're so immature. You're acting so dumb, he says, that you'd find yourself boasting about being on team Paul or team Apollos Or team Peter. Really? You think that's what church is about? He's saying don't get so bogged down in the human stuff. The temporal stuff. That you forget the big picture. Our unity is at risk when we stop valuing harmony. It's at risk when we forget why we're here. Our unity is at risk when we play to our immaturity. It's at risk when we lose sight of eternal values. Unity matters. Unity really matters. I'm telling you, I've spent literally my lifetime in the church. Growing up, my house, church wasn't an option. And we were there every time it was open. And in my life, when I was a kid, it was open a lot. And we were always there. And then I went to a Christian college and church attendance was required. And then I got out of college and I got a job at a church. I've gone to church all my life. And I can tell you this, when a church is unified, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in the world when a church is living in harmony. In Ephesians, Paul makes a beautiful statement on unity. It's found in chapter 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, keep it. You know why he says keep it? We have it. It's ours to lose. We want to make sure that we protect it. I pray this verse for us all the time. You see, I want people to see Jesus in us, and I know you want that too. We want people to see Jesus through our church. He shines best when we're unified. And honestly, when we fight, he's invisible. All people see is the fighting. They don't see our Lord at all. The next time you're tempted to draw battle lines, or you're tempted to team up with someone in their cause, I want to encourage you to just ask one question. Is this really worthy of the spilled blood of Jesus Christ? Is what we're about to do battle over really worthy of the blood of Jesus Christ? Because when it comes down to it, we're not just any other club. We're not just any other organization or group. We're the body of Jesus Christ. And his blood was spilled for us. And we want to make sure that everything we do brings pride to the name of Jesus Let's pray together. Father, I simply pray that we would be one as you and Jesus are one. And that we would never take for granted that oneness. Help us to fight for it. To fight passionately for it. 
If there's any fighting that we're going to do, we're going to fight to live in harmony. We're going to fight to keep our oneness. I pray this in your name. Amen. As our servers come right now, we're going to have the bread and cup in our hands, and they are representations of the spilled blood of Jesus. And during this time, I want to encourage you to really pray two prayers. One might be to pray a prayer for forgiveness for the times that the blood of Jesus was treated as something cheap because maybe you wanted to fight where you shouldn't have fought or join in a battle that shouldn't have been joined because it wasn't worthy of that blood. But beyond that, I hope that you'll join me in praying, praying for our church and praying for other church that claim, claim the name of Jesus Christ, that we will always have that unity protected that we share in the spirit.
there isn't a prayer I could add that is more beautiful than the one that we just sang together. Servers are coming right now and they'll receive the offering as they do. Make sure you put your offering in as well as your, your card that you filled out. A few things I want to remind you of. We do have a business meeting tomorrow night and some of you wonder if we're voting over carpeting tomorrow. No, not at all. In fact, this is, I, just, I do need to throw out this disclaimer. Sometimes when you preach about unity, people go, okay, what's going on? What's the big fight that nobody told me about? The cool part about pre- preaching through a book is, hey, this is what came up next. Here it is, and that's why we talked about it. And so um, don't get the idea somehow that there's some thundering herd that you don't know about that's going to emerge tomorrow night. But we encourage you to come to that. It's a chance to be able to learn about uh, what's going on in the church, direction we're taking. Beyond that, uh, there's going to be a thundering herd tonight at my house. Uh, High school is going to be moving away from the warehouse facility tonight and over to the PAP house. Going to have some Super Bowl playing, and uh, we don't have those uh, abilities over at the warehouse. So if you're a high schooler, come on over, and you you get to watch TV at our place and hang out with each other and celebrate a game between... Two teams that just don't matter. But anyway, um, it'll be a great time anyway. And we can all dream about the day when our team will get there. Mine sooner than yours. So anyway, um, the other thing, division already. Can you believe it? He just said, stop it. Uh, I want to remind you about the famine coming up. A lot of you have done a great job already contributing to the kids for that. You can go on our website, and it gives you a link to be able to go to the famine website and contribute to them. And I also want you to be thinking about that idea of fasting along with them, showing them your support by being one of the people who say, for the full 30 hours or part of the 30 hours, uh, I'm going to go ahead and join in supporting you by fasting too. I give you that two-week warning because for some of you, you'll have to prepare for that. You know, be a donut-free zone or whatever. Do whatever preparation you got to do, but, but that's important. One other thing I want to show you before we leave today. This past week, uh, Daisy Austin headed down, to, uh, headed down to Oklahoma in order to take some pictures of Tabitha's twins. Kind of fun. She's got, a, she's got a, the ability, real good ability with, with photography, has her own business in this. And so she took some images of the, of the twins to be able to let us see them. The, the, one of the cool pieces of this was that uh, Oh, and the cool, but not cool. Uh, my understanding is earlier in the day, the girls had had their shots. And so they're basically not a happy picture in the whole thing. But, but looking at that image, I mean, isn't that fantastic? Everybody else is so serene, so happy, just having a great time. And you have these whalers down there just having fun. And next, the next image is just, it's really beautiful. Um, so just really, uh, Conda went along with her, and uh, I'm so glad that these ladies went. And even something like this ministered, ministered to Tabitha in this moment, gave her some beautiful images to be able to uh, be reminded of these, of these very early days with, with her babies. So why don't you go ahead and stand with us, and we're going to close in prayer. And I thank you again for being here today on this beautiful, now sunny morning, shining down on the snow. It's just really pretty. Father God, We are grateful to you that uh, we get the chance to show off Jesus to the world. And we don't show off Jesus through all the great things we do. We show him off through one simple thing. We love each other. And we love each other enough to be united and to put aside our personal preferences and our petty differences. We, We decide that harmony matters. And when we live in unity, other people don't hear about the name of Southfield. They hear about the name of Jesus. And that's what matters most. 
And I pray that you will preserve that in us, God. Preserve in us a unity that brings a smile to your face and then draws other people into your kingdom. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We'll see you. Have a great week.